Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 25 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And this week is the second part of our interview with Simone Cohen. Now, Simone is um, a health and wellbeing coach who's also part of Graham Phillips's uh, Prolongevity team. So it's really lovely that we were able to take the opportunity to, to keep speaking with, with Simone this week. And where the focus of this particular episode is on her health practice, the practice of her health and wellbeing coaching. So, Jackie, uh, can you remind the listeners about Simone? Simone qualified as a reflexology at the British School of Complementary Therapy in Harley Street, London, in December 2000. To further her knowledge and passion in health and well-being, that same year she embarked on a health science degree specialising in therapeutic bodyworks at the University of Westminster. From her degree, she gained experience in a variety of bodywork practices that combated conditions such as migraines, muscle tension and stress-related illnesses. Whilst completing her degree, Simone also built up a successful private practice offering treatments and techniques in a variety of bodywork therapies, including reflexology. In 2013, Simone was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, a chronic pain disorder. To understand more about the illness, she trained with renowned USA fibromyalgia coach Tammy Stacklehouse. Once qualified, Simone incorporated her knowledge of pain management and nutrition into her roster of bodywork therapies to re-establish herself as a health and well-being coach. With her wealth of knowledge and personal experience, Simone was fortunate enough to be part of the NHS Healthier You National Diabetes Prevention Programme, where she worked with individuals and groups for nine months to provide educational and nutritional sessions to pre-diabetic patients. Simone found the program a wonderful eye-opening experience which further ignited her passion and interest into the psychology around health and sugar addiction. As a body worker with almost 20 years of experience in the health industry, Simone's extensive training and practical knowledge coupled with her own health journey has given her the unique ability to recognize each client's individual needs and goals, making Simone a highly successful empathetic and intuitive health and well-being practitioner. She strongly believes that her role as a health and well-being coach is to educate, encourage and support a patient's journey to a living a healthier, vibrant life. Welcome, Simone. 
back to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you back again. Thanks for having me again. Let's just remind the listeners where in the world you are. I am in sunny St. Albans in Hertfordshire, just outside of London. That's at the, the northern side of the M25, isn't it, if my memory serves me correct? Right at the top. Yeah. It is. Yeah, right yeah. at the top, yeah. There's not much beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. I've, I've been here 14 years, so I am actually a, I'm a Londoner at heart, but uh, I don't think I'll ever go back to London to live. No. So it's lovely here. Yeah, that's great. So let's just recap, you know, you're back this week and we're going to be just start off and remind the listeners um, a little bit about your story that you've come from a place of not ill health, but your, your fibromyalgia story that you were telling us last week. And you have this very quite significant anniversary, the 4th of June 2015, when perhaps your whole world was revolutionized, as we shall say. Um, with um, coming across your ex-brother-in-law with Banting. And we might just um, pick up the story from, from 2015 for the listeners on your low-carb journey and how that's now informed your, your health and well-being practice. Sure. So, yeah, it, it was um, a life-changing moment. I think um, the Real More Revolution, uh, if you put it into practice and you really follow their system, um, it works very well. It, I think for some people it could take longer. Um, it's going to vary for everybody. But it, it truly it was remarkable. Um, and it just became, I don't, it sounds negative, it almost became an obsession. I, I, I absolutely just absorbed as much information as I could from the experts. So not just from the Real Mill Revolution, but there are so many amazing, amazing experts out there that are encouraging, you know, normal day-to-day people and GP practices and uh, all sorts of different establishments to look look at nutrition in a different way. So I became really, really fascinated with it and thought, you know, I'd left my practice as a body worker, but I, I just know deep down in my heart that there isn't anything else really that I want to do. Um, I've only ever really wanted to help people in some form of a health journey um and so I thought you know I think this could be something that I'd like to help people with because I just I just it pains me to think that people could go through life feeling unwell or believing that they just need to wait for some disease to happen before you know they kickstart the change to their health so I just thought I'll keep keep learning keep trying and build my practice around around that so I had a a, a life kind of change where my marriage ended and I was kind of encouraged to get a, a proper job um, by my family and I, I couldn't really figure out what it was that meant or what I should do having been a, a secretary in my youth um, and a very bad one at that although I think I'd be better at it now I thought I just I, I'm just not meant to be in an office job it just I can't, there's nothing that excites me about that. So I, I struck, you know, scrolled through job sites and just thought, oh, what am I going to do? And I remember sitting, I was away with my parents and my kids at the time. It was summer 2017. And I saw a job for a health and wellbeing coach for a private company. And I read it and I looked up at my mum and I went, this job has been created for me. This is the job. I'm going to get it. 
and I applied for it, went for the interview and I did get the job and I was absolutely so um, proud to be part of the National uh, Diabetic Prevention Programme, which is a scheme that was rolled out by NHS England targeting people who were diagnosed with being pre-diabetic. Um, a very holistic nutritional and lifestyle programme. Um, so the general public may have been picked up through their result, blood results, which could have been years old, but still they, they, we, we had to target. I didn't do this. I was the health coach, but somebody in the background was targeting GP surgeries to send people to us who were pre-diabetic. Um, they would be sent to us for a one-to-one so that we could explain what the programme was about. And I learned so much just from that experience. I was doing, you know, fingerprint tests. I was trying to explain to people how nutrition could affect their life and would they like to learn more about how they can improve their health so that they don't develop type 2 diabetes. So it was it was it was a little bit of a sales pitch, but it was something that I enjoyed doing because I felt so passionate about you know getting people on the program to further their journey um, and their and their knowledge and what they could do. So that, so once they came onto the program, they'd go, we'd go into group sessions and there was roughly about uh, 30 people in a group. Previous to all of this, I was actually trained by within the company by Expert Health. So I became a licensed Expert Health uh, practitioner. Uh, and Expert Health is um, a, cha- a charity. I, I think they're a charity, actually, by Dr. Trudy Deakin, who's doing wonderful work and research on diabetes and the effects of nutrition and all sorts of things she's brilliant her team are brilliant um so we were trained by them so I had a I had all the knowledge that I had from what I had learned myself and then I was expert trained as well and it was pretty daunting I'd never ever I'd never done public speaking um I hadn't really been trained in that at all um it was incredibly nerve-wracking but it was once I got into it and I learned my patter and I learned how to deal with people, um, it became the most empowering thing I've experienced. And I just thought, if I can do this, I can actually do anything because I don't think I've ever felt so much anxiety and fear um, than knowing that I've got to stand up in front of a bunch of strangers. So it was just a wonderful experience. And I did that for two years um, alongside all the nutrition and the lifestyle factors. There was also a, a, a portion where we taught or educated people in understanding the effects of stress on the body and mindfulness. Um, so it was really holistic and I was very, very impressed with the programme. Um, and I worked in a borough that, you know, I have to say I did very well and I got really good results. People really did make changes. But what I learned from that programme, and it was it was a real frustration for me, was that I couldn't I couldn't understand that people were being sent to me, being told that if they didn't make changes to their lifestyle and nutrition, they could potentially risk developing type 2 diabetes. And with that, other consequences of some serious illnesses, heart disease, some cancers, strokes, all those sorts of things. And we did a, a, a particular module on the complications of type 2 diabetes. Now, it wasn't there to scare people. It was there to educate them. But I I still couldn't quite believe that people really struggled with the changes, the addiction, the the stories they kept telling themselves, the excuses, for want of a better word. Um, And I was fascinated by it. I was like, but but what I felt was that I didn't have the training enough in the psychology 
to encourage those changes. Part of what we did was use goal setting, which is really, really important. Mm. But even then, you know, I'd at the end of every session, you'd say to people, okay, let's set some goals for the next week. And, and I, you know, most people were just staring back at me and not really writing anything down. And I just felt unable to, to encourage people, even though, you know, my passion came through in some ways, it just, that just didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was experienced enough in that sense, because it's about habit changes. Um, and that's something that you can't, you, you can give people the knowledge, but it, they have to want to do it. They have to want to do the changes. It comes from them. There's only so much I can do. And I think the problem is, as a therapist who's always fixed people, as a body worker, they were coming to me, they wanted to be fixed, and then they would go and they'd come back and I'd fix them and then they'd go. They never had, I never had the, the a reason to know how to um, encourage change. So I would have advised people on ergonomics and posture and core strength exercises and things like that. But actually, they never really made any changes. Um, they'd just come back because they want me to fix them. And it was becoming a pattern in my career that I noticed that people, when I was changing what I was offering in terms of coaching, um, what I was getting was like a backlash of people saying, but, you know, but I, I want to pay you to fix me. And I was like, but I don't, I don't want to fix you. You need to fix you because if, if I fix you, um, it's going to fail. Mm. Um, and then you're going to blame me. And then you're going to tell, tell the world that, um, Simone didn't fix me and she's a rubbish therapist. So I just, I think, thought I've got to figure out another way on how to approach this. So my interest, so I, I left the um, NHS and decided that what I really needed, because I think I mentioned in the last session that I am a little bit obsessed with learning, I needed to find a program that allowed me to understand how to encourage changes and habit changes and understand more of it more deeply how their how people's brains work, particularly when it comes to things like binge eating, emotional eating, addiction, and these sorts of cycles that we seem to create. I think what I learned from the program on the NHS is that a lot of a lot of stuff was actually psychological. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily physical because people didn't necessarily feel ill. So they didn't have a, an incentive to change based on how they were feeling because they didn't necessarily feel mm. unwell. Yeah, that's that hard then. So I just thought, okay, a lot of it was, well, how will I, you know, what will I, what will be on my plate if I don't have the potatoes or, you know, my wife cooks the meals and I don't want to tell her that I can't have that. And, and or, um, you know, but we were told that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Um, that was my favorite <laughs> or, but we're told I had, I had one patient, um, tell me that she had read somewhere once or had been told by somebody that it was really important that she ate eight slices of bread a day to get enough fiber and carbohydrates and and I was like I was fascinated that people cling on to these beliefs that we're told through media and unqualified people giving advice around nutrition and and I just thought something's got to be done I've got to find a way to understand how I can help people change their patterns and their habitual thinking and their and the myths around food really and it's it's not easy <laughs> it's really really tough um so I'm 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 on that path now so that's something I'm training in um, just so I can bring that to my practice as well so for the most part 
um, again, the, the attraction that people were coming to me for was for weight loss. And I, I, that's not what I'm, I'm aiming for. Mm. It's secondary. It will happen for a lot of people naturally. But I think what comes into the forefront of people's minds um, after that conversation, if I'm not here to help you with your weight loss, I'm here to help you with your health, then people's mind does shift a little bit. Yeah. It becomes naturally. And the thing about weight loss is if you're just doing it for weight loss, then you do it for a few weeks, you stop, you go back to where you were. It's exactly the same as any mm-hmm. other change of diet. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's, again, a very, very difficult mindset shift to remove because we are a, a diet culture. We, we, you know, we've been told that's, you know, go to some of the most well-known multi-billion uh, pounds dollar companies to lose weight um, and it's very clever it's a very clever marketing very clever planting of a seed that it's all your fault and it isn't so yeah I think and I used to say to people in my groups I used to say to them when I say the word diet what do you think and they'd look back at me and they'd be like they'd come back with words like restriction and things like that and I'd say yeah when I think of the word diet I think of the word temporary because when people want to change their diet, they change it for a short period of time till they get the result, and then they go back on a different path. And that's not what we're trying to encourage. We're trying to encourage slow changes and slow progress so that you can have this tool for life and not let it be temporary. But that's a massive, bearing in mind that <clears throat> the people that I was dealing with were kind of mostly kind of late 50s plus. So they were pretty set in their ways and their their um uh beliefs and it was it was a difficult task but I just kept doing what I felt was right to encourage change and for some people they did it and they did it full throttle and they really got into it and they made massive changes and it was clear and it was obvious and for some people it was a slower process and for other people they just didn't want to do it and I think that was partly mindset, but I also think, again, it goes back to the conversation about having an NHS uh, free service. If you are being told by your doctor to go somewhere, then you're less likely, it's not coming from you, it's coming from someone else saying you need to make changes. Well, you know, you become you become a, a child and say, well, I don't want to make the changes. Mm, yeah. So people don't. Yeah. You have to be invested in your health and your future. You have to. Whether that's not always financially, but you have to make that decision to do it. Yeah. And I do I do think people struggle, sorry. I do think people struggle with the concept of paying somebody to coach them to make changes. Because I think for a lot of a lot of the time people um get to a point where they can do only do so much and then they'll go back to their old ways and then they go back again but they never think actually if they invested money in themselves that they'd only have to do it once yeah really they might have to have a top-up mot session with someone a coach but instead of going back and forth and back and forth on this diet bandwagon what i like to think i offer is somebody the opportunity whether it's for one month three months six months or however long this this support that allows them to know that this is it. You invest in it once with me, I hope. And that's kind of quite a difficult mindset shift again for people to to have. Yeah. I think. I was just curious whether the um, NHS 
National Diabetic Prevention Program is still going? Because it sounds fantastic yeah. that it's obviously... Yeah. It, but it's it changed. So there were, there were, there were different uh, providers, different private companies that were doing... All of us were doing different things. So we were all um, teaching different modalities around nutrition and lifestyle, which I found quite bizarre. And then um, the company that I was working for decided to to not use expert health material. Um, NHS England said that's fine, but if you're going to use the training internally, then you need to use the eat well plate. And that didn't sit well with me. To the company's credit, they were still deeply trying to encourage a real food approach but under the stringent guide of the eat well plate as in saturated fats don't have too many of that and you still need to have a certain amount of carbohydrates in your diet and so although they were trying to encourage a real food dietary approach still and they were still very much about trying to shift people's mindsets and encourage change and habit change it just didn't feel right for me I just thought I'd been standing up there lying to people and that doesn't work. It's unethical. Even if I'm trying to push with all my might, you know, we're eating real food, I was still having to say to people, you need to have a certain amount of carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought, God, no, that's not, that doesn't work. So um, that's why I decided it would be best that I, I leave the company. And I think, you know, that's a really, you know, a testament to your character and your ethics, your personal ethics, that you have stayed true to your your core belief about what is the best approach for for health and well-being. And that's obviously that real food approach. So well done to sticking to your, your moral, ethical you know, beliefs. And that's obviously been another shift in your um, in your own journey. And now, you know, being a, a health and well-being coach that – how can people access your services? So they can um, they can contact me directly. I, I think you'll probably have details of how they can get hold of me. Um, so I work I work for my for myself, but I also work alongside Graham Phillips from Prolongevity uh, Wellness. Um, so so either way, they can get hold of me through there. They can either work for me with me one to one, or they can work along with the Prolongevity program, which is very similar. Um, but you obviously have the support of Graham as well. I mean, Graham would support me regardless. But um, so there's, there's, there's ways to access me on a one-to-one level. If there are people within your within your circle that you think could benefit and you want to do it as a group session, then things like that can be done because it can all be done via Zoom and thankfully can all be done all over the world, which, which is clear from this podcast. Um, so it's, it's much easier to do things remotely nowadays, so people don't have to worry too much about having uh, face-to-face, physical face-to-face meetings now. Um, so, yeah, so I think you'll have details of how people can get hold of me and they can have, you know, a 15, 20-minute conversation with me to see for free to see whether they feel um, that we would get on and work well together and for me to assess whether they're ready. Yeah. And a big focus of your therapy then is, as you're saying, you're really delving into the mindset, into the psychology, and not just obviously what's appearing on your plate, but more the um, more more the connection to to eating. Would that be would that be right? Yeah, I mean, I think I just think it's very 
it is very holistic and and I it can get overwhelming for people and I think that having a coach allows people to 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 do things at their own speed but with support and non-judgmental um feedback and supportive a supportive feedback really um and I think that um yeah I think it's important that people realize that it isn't just a it, I'm not just going to be looking at food that the, the, the body creates connections uh the mind the mind and the guts food the guts food and the mind it's just so interconnected but as I said what I learned from working in the NHS um is that the it's it's so clear that people just continue to tell the, their story to themselves or the reasons why they can't have something or they shouldn't remove something or you know fat is bad and all these sorts of things those are the things that actually people if they if they understood physiologically what was going on in their body when they ate certain foods then they can make an inf- make an informed decision themselves if they know what's happening in their body on a molecular level when they eat carbohydrates let's say if they're coming to me because they're pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic if they know what's going on they understand it then they can visualize what's going on and they can say well actually if i have that slice of bread or if I have two slices of bread, then my blood might go up this much. But maybe if I had one slice of bread, then it will give me a better result. So I'm not necessarily saying to people, you know, all in one, as much as I'd love to, I'm not saying to people, cut it all out instantly, boom, cold turkey. Because that's just not where I have to, that's not where people are. Not, not you know, not generally kind of people that are going to make significant changes. Uh, it needs to be done slowly. Mm. and at their pace yeah so if somebody's coming to you and they want to make these changes slowly how long does it take for them before they start noticing changes that's like asking how long a piece of string is (laughs) i think um i can't answer that because i think everybody is very individual with that um because actually it's a learning process for them and as well as for me because there are some people that can consume copious amounts of cheese and feel fabulous and lose weight. And there's other people that that can't do that. And they they stall or, you know, their their journey stalls and therefore we have to, you know, redig things. So each week is 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 a, a learning curve and you know it's something that you just have to you can't you can't. I leave it open. I'm not gonna say that they should be with me for a certain amount of time I think yes there's got to be some structure of course if they're going to be with me for three months and they've got a goal that they need to achieve within three months then we'll we'll work at a particular pace but I don't know Mm. everybody's so different yeah I'm sure that you're part of those Facebook groups and um, I've been you know low carb keto for five minutes and why haven't I lost five pounds (laughs) maybe you know, is there any sort of coaching sort of telltale signs where you perhaps, you know, find people's expectations are perhaps a little bit too, that need to have a readjustment or, you know, they need to realign to more realistic expectations for, um, for, for certainly behaviour change or habit change? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like I often say to people, how for how many years is it have you got to has it taken you to get to this point so if it's been 15 20 years of you eating badly or 
drinking too much or feeling tired all the time, you know, whatever it is, if it's taken 15 years, please don't expect to change within five minutes because, you know, your body's, that's an accumulation of a lot of crap. So, you know, give it time. And actually the body has to go through, the mind and the body both have to go through a certain amount of healing in order to, and shifts. Like it's not just a, a way of a way of life and a change in your nutrition. Like your mindset shift is going to help heal your journey, heal your your emotions as well. So, um, I think it's so it's so dependent on the person's investment in themselves, in themselves really. Yeah. What about one of your perhaps you could share one of your client's successes? So whether that's metabolically the healing, whether there was a, a perhaps you know share a, a client's story. Obviously anonymized. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I can, I can, I give an example of of a client that was on the NHS program actually, because he was he was um, quite a big big guy, tall as well as quite overweight. He he was his his mindset when he came into the program. He, he was he was obviously an academic. Uh, bearing in mind, I know nothing about these people. I don't really know their history. It's not like I get to, I don't get to know them and their medical background. Actually, they're pretty much strangers when they come to me. So I, so there's no kind of judgment. I actually just spoke to everybody as if they were human beings, right? There was no, there was nothing. I just taught them what they needed to know. But this particular guy, he actually almost made me cry in one session because he just was so frustrated with the science and the academic side of it. Um, that he he it didn't it didn't resonate with him and he said the the um the slides are, he was just he was really angry at the presentation of the physical slides not my presentation but I felt really upset but I just carried on I just carried on educating the group and him and just trying not to take it personally that this man was what felt like he was attacking me and I thought no I'm not going to take this it's not mine anyway he stayed on the program which I think is pretty um telling of his character and his desire to want to make changes and eventually he did soften up and I think he got to understand me and my my passion and my approach and my desire to want to help people by the end of the nine months when I didn't always see people at their last um, assessment with me but they often requested to see me and book in with me, which I thought was really lovely. And he was one of those guys that wanted to book in with me. He lost so so much weight. It was not easy for him. He lost weight. He looked about 20 years younger. He had so much more energy. He was so invested. He was getting books and recipe books and all that. Like he was absolutely, from this man that, that made me nearly want to cry in a session to, to somebody who was saying, you know, this is, you know, been a massive, massive shift for me and a massive change. And I think that's what kept kept me going. And I had a lot of um, thank you cards at the end of sessions. I had a lot of people say, you know, you've you've really changed my life. I don't, I never expected anything. I never expect anything from anybody, just that they try to make the changes and give themselves a chance to heal. Um, so, so I don't know if I can say give a specific. He's, he's he came out into my mind because I think he ups, he upset me because I just I'm not in this to upset anybody or confuse them. I just want them to make to to know that they can feel wonderful 
Um, so he stands out. But but I have to say, there's a, there was a lot of people that felt very grateful for the for the opportunity to be on the program. Hmm. Um, I hope that that would come across as well as a one to one in my private practice. Do you think that perhaps his misdirected, you know, aggression towards you was because maybe he felt betrayed, you know, his frustration and disappointment with obviously the health messaging that he'd been following, but perhaps he'd been eating the, you know, low fat, low calorie diet and thinking he's doing the right thing, but obviously you're telling him something, you know, counterintuitive, eat fat as much as you like until you feel full but just don't eat the beige, perhaps he's misdirecting his, you know, frustration and anger towards you, you know, because you're the one that's out the front telling him something completely counterintuitive. You are absolutely right. And that actually wasn't just with him. That was with a lot of people. A lot of people rejected the information. It was too much for them because... For you, because actually a lot of the people were on statins mm. so they were already told that um that they had cholesterol problems and therefore they shouldn't be eating so much fat and we actually had lots of sessions in fact most of the sessions were, were less about the carbohydrates and more about this fear around fat it was fascinating so you, and, and actually the, the discussion around how cholesterol works in the body is unbelievably complicated, even for myself, and I love all that. So to try and describe it was really, really, really tough. But I always just got people to to kind of think for themselves, and I would say to them, have you ever done any research about cholesterol as a hormone and how essential it is? Have you ever asked your doctor what the benefits are of taking statins and for how many more years it's going to give you life? I mean... Have you looked at the statistics? So I, I, I wasn't rude about it. But I just wanted people to take accountability for their own health rather than just go to the doctor and be told you've got high cholesterol. Here are some drugs to help you or you've got high blood pressure. Take this or whatever it is. That's the easy route. And it's not necessarily the right route. You can make changes and change your diagnosis. Um, so you are right. People were horrified at the information that I was giving so yeah there was a lot of backlash for that yeah and most people nowadays because um anybody sort of younger than me will just have grown up that is the whole their whole life would have been around the teaching since the late 70s and and what we've been told don't eat eggs don't eat saturated fat 60 percent carbs and all these things that we've been fed over the last 40 years so anybody that's around 40 years old is gonna is gonna that's what they've grown up with how can you say that it's not right yeah but it's actually interesting just this last week there was another study a middle australian study that was published about the link or you know obviously it's a correlation they were proposing a link between how eggs, the consumption of eggs and diabetes. So it's not just obviously just in the last 40 years, but it's still this continuous um, messaging about, you know, these are the good foods, you know, good fats, bad fats, good eggs, bad eggs this week. Next week it'll be, you know, don't eat this and don't eat that. No wonder people are confused and 
rightly so, you know, that man, um, you know, is sort of misdirecting his, you know, his frustration to obviously, um, you know, being told to come to a course from the NHS for free mm. and getting completely 360'd in the opposite direction. So, yeah. And that's just the lay consumer, you know, as opposed to yourself who's, you know, very health literate and can be a critical consumer of information and start to unpack things. And I think actually on reflection, I think people that are following the keto low carb, I don't know how they found out about it, but when you're in that circle and it's a small circle, there's not that, you know, it's not that big actually. The thing is, we've we've gone into it, we've followed we're following those people that are all about functional medicine, where they're about keto, low carb, banting, they're they're, you know, there's some really big names. They're they're big names to us, but how many people are they reaching beyond those people that are interested in this way of life, if that makes sense? Does does that make sense? Yeah. Like how far is the message going beyond the people that are already interested in this? So I was exposing people to to a different way of thinking around food, but I don't know what would happen after nine months when they're not under my care. And I don't know whether those people were going to go and become part of that circle, that inner circle that's been created by the keto, low-carb, banting community. So it's it's difficult because I just don't know how far the message is going. I suspect not very far. Mm. But if you if you change one person, then that's worth it, surely. Yes. And that's why I've just carried on plodding along trying to get the message across to people because I don't know how many people um listen to what I say or follow what I say or um you know, aside of the ones that want to pay for my services you know I give a lot I give a lot for free I'm I'm, I don't really you know it's okay to do that because people need to see that I just want them to have a better life um so places like on my Instagram page I will post the foods that I eat or the reactions I've had to it and things like that so so I don't know how many people that has reached um but yes I hope that it has helped I I I hope it has helped I think even the people that that were in that group, even if they're still eating their old way, they now have the knowledge to question, or maybe they're not as go as far as question, but they now have the knowledge to be curious to know, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be eating this. And I see that with people around me that I don't say anything anymore because they know I've, you know, I've said it enough. They know. So now the choice is theirs and sometimes they choose to eat the right way, well, what I consider the right way, and sometimes they choose not to, but they they now have the choice and they, they, they make their decision what they want to do. And that's a really great point, Jackie. Um, it was two things because as Jackie's face will tell whether she approves or disapproves because she's got that, that <laughs> sort of, mm, you know, that sort of, mm, <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. But anyway, so her approval will be on on her face. But but Jackie's on the on on the ball there because I think what you know, I was using this word health literacy, but really in in what you were doing in those groups was basically equipping them. So with that knowledge and obviously the skills that you were teaching them how to read nutrition labels and to be critical consumers of not only the messaging that they were getting, but obviously then the 
the choices that they were making, then, you know, feeling and being intuitive about the response of those choices to their body, you know, particularly their blood sugars in the, in the program. But that health education is what we would, you know, think, as you're saying, about prevention, that we were not so much being preemptive for this, this particular cohort because they were already at risk, weren't they? They were already pre-diabetic. But the health literacies, skills that you were giving them were to equip them to make better choices. The same principles for, um, you know, young people with drugs or with sex, rock and roll. You know, we give them the information to make a choice, to evaluate the choices, to evaluate the risk to to making their, you know, forming their decisions. So if the fact that you've left in the legacy, I suppose that's really what you're asking, what's my legacy, is that you've given them the a power to make informed choices. And that's that's quite a legacy which you should really be proud of. Mm. Oh, thank you. I I hope so. Um I think you're 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 right. Both you're right with the with Jackie what you're saying about no, you don't tell you don't share. It's actually one of my, my top tips. Um is to not don't, don't just be on your own journey. Not everybody needs to know what you're doing. Um because because there's a lot of fear around this what some people may consider an extreme way of eating. Um, and those people aren't necessarily ready. So I've always said to my coaching clients, just it's your journey and not everybody needs to know about it. And they're most likely not ready to hear it. So let them see the results and be curious rather than just talking about it to them. Because um, I think seeing it is believing it. Yeah. Which really, you know, you, you were asking about how, you know, or reminding us from last episode, you know, your ex-brother-in-law, he was on his journey and he was his own, um, you know, his own trophy. Like you said, he was just, oh, my gosh, you know, well done to you. Um, I want some of that. And, you know, for me, it was my mum who also had the Real Meal Revolution. So, you know, and she had lost a lot of weight. So in our circle, there is always that one person who is perhaps – to use the epidemiological flavour of the month, the index case, you know, that one person that has inspired us for change. And whether that's in the professional cap, you know, capacity or like your brother-in-law, they're just a, a relative or a friend, that they ripple out. Um, yeah. And exponentially, as we know, you know, one or two people creates the, the movement and the change. Exponentially, they will go and tell two people and they will go and tell two people. So, you know becomes that exponential change yeah we hope well we do i think you know we need to we need to almost um keep the faith and as you're saying it's about being true to you and this is your journey and it's interesting you say not to platform it but you know to to quietly go about what we're doing you know i can you we get a sense of your passion you know you've become so animated and you want to shout this out to the world how can not everybody be doing this and we get all that evangelicalness about our, um, you know, <laughs> look at my skin, look at my eyes, you know, look at my, I'm pain free. You know, when was the last time you actually had a flare up? How many is that? Months? Is it years? Oh, um, she's quiet. She's got a. She's racking back, going through their records. 
I, I, I can't remember the last time I had a flare up. What I do have is um, signs that my body gives me to say, okay, enough now. Stop with the wine or stop having those sneaky biscuits that you sometimes go and have. And and I think I think it's important that people know that, yes, I am low carb. I'm a massive advocate for it. But there's nothing to say that I don't have moments where I just think, screw it. I'm going for it because we're human and I'm continually on my journey and continue learning how to manage myself. Um, so um, I haven't had a flare up for a very, very long time. But I do recognize that my body is telling me when I may have been overdoing it. So I have I have really learned to listen to my body. So for me, some of the triggers are I, I get a lot of neck pain or I wake up with a particular type of headache. Um, I wake up with joint pain specifically in my fingers. And then that stops me in my tracks. It allows me to start thinking, okay, what what, what is it? Is this a nutritional thing? Have I overdone it with the carbs? Is this an emotional thing? Am I feeling stressed about something? Is something bothering me on an emotional level? Maybe I've just overdone it with the exercise. So I'm just learning to to micromanage. I said it last time, micromanage my life. There may be people in the fibro community that don't believe that they could live pain-free. But I would like to think, whether there's a science behind it or not, that there are there is a way to improve your life. You may never be free from fibromyalgia, for example, but you can learn to manage it to a point where you might not be in pain every day, for example. Yeah. Um, likewise with, you know, people saying that they've, they're in remi- remission of type 2 diabetes. So maybe you'd become in remi- remission of fibromyalgia. fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. And so long as you yeah. stick to the plan, you stay relatively healthy yes yeah so when you're sort of saying about um if you have too many sort of you know carbohydrates or you know in the form of you know the biscuits or or the wine um and obviously stress physical activity so they're the big three things that perhaps you would sort of micromanage well in terms of um your daily sort of you know in in your daily management Coming up to the holidays and Christmas, are these? Do you tend to sort of give yourself permission? Are you a, a moderator or an abstainer in, in in these sorts of stressful times of year? Interestingly, very, very, very good uh, question. Interestingly, I personally I find that, that all holidays, not just kind of food related holidays, but holidays abroad, um, very, very difficult very difficult um i know what happens year on year if i fall off the wagon yet i do continue it but i have children that still eat all that crap that they shouldn't be eating because even though they know what i do and why i do it um i don't want to be giving them food issues and they and i do try and limit it but they're at an age where they'll just go off and buy it anyway so i try not to put too much pressure on them so there is stuff in the house. It is everywhere in the shops. It is very, very difficult. And I think the process of thinking around it is a little bit like you had, Jackie, with the carnival, is that you felt like you were de- all you could thinking about was the foods that you couldn't have. Yeah. Right. And I'm not. It's not necessarily talking about the rubbish. You would. You just wanted an olive. Yeah. Right. So 
sometimes it's about giving yourself permission. And when you have permission to eat those foods, you kind of don't want them as much. <laughs> That's exactly it. And, you know, even this week, yesterday I was totally carnivore. I didn't have anything off, off plan because I knew I could have that olive yeah. and I could have, oh, oh, I did have a li- little bit of cabbage actually, but that was all I needed. Yep. But if you're, if you're coming from the mindset of, I can't have that, I can't have that, I won't have that, then you're, all you're going to do is think about that biscuit that's sitting in the cupboard or that chocolate or whatever it is that floats your boat. And I think if you just say to yourself, you know what, I can have the biscuit, then maybe you'll only have one as opposed to four. Um, and I think that, yes, we, we, we do go up and down and there are scenarios like stressful stress, um, holidays, all sorts of things where um, people do get quite panicked by it. And I think if we just allowed ourselves the permission to say, okay, and that's actually part of goal setting, isn't it? Because if you're going to give yourself enough time time to go off on the rails, it's also about saying to yourself, but on this date, I'm going to stop. Yeah. Rather than falling into the spiral of, of mm. poor mm. Um, habits and eating behaviour. So I don't know how I'm going to react this year. I feel very much at peace with my life at the moment so I don't feel this massive desire to ruin that Mm. quite frankly (laughs) Mm. I'm happy I think where I'm at yeah I think it's it's interesting because you know you're saying about deprivation and in that sense of deprivation I can't have this I'm going to restrict this I'm going to do that but when you put the positive spin on it I'm going to give my pancreas a break or I'm going to give my digestive system a break by not eating that so, or, you know, I'm going to to do, you know, perhaps something that's good for my gut, you know, by not having not having that for my gut. Or my gut doesn't sort of, you know, react well to that. So I think there's a different, as you said, the mind shift, when we shift it from the deprivation in, in that sense to basically enabling my body to have a rest from um, excessive carbs or something like that. So there's just a subtle shift in the narrative that we, as you said, the stories that we tell us. And actually, on top of that, the foods that you can create in a low-carb ketogenic way are amazing. S- of the vast. Mm. I have got the most incredible recipe book specifically for Christmas food, Christmas recipes. Last year I made, and I'll put the link in so people can purchase it, mm. Um, it's it's an ebook and it's absolutely brilliant. Just remind me to tell you what it is, um, because I can't remember offhand. Um, and I made a low carb chocolate Yule cake log cake. I made a low carb trifle last year chocolate log cake, mm. all from this recipe book, mm. and all within you know the limit limits of a of a low carb ketogenic diet. Now, if you are a completely strict keto and you've removed all of those things, but you would like to allow yourself some of those things during the Christmas period, then the option the options are there with it being, you know, within the remit, I suppose. Because at least if the options are there, for me, mm-hmm. if the options are there in my fridge, that's why I bake so much. That's why I love having cakes and keto bis- uh, low-carb biscuits in the house, because I know that if I didn't have them in the house, then all I'd be thinking about is the chocolate digestive. Mm. 
right? So I'd rather have the stash of coconut balls, chocolate coconut balls, or the um, cheesecake, whatever. It's there available to me. Yeah. Love a good cheesecake. Love a good cheesecake. That's uh, Jackie makes a good cheesecake too. I've seen, you know, she's Instagram worthy, that one. Yeah. I sort of feel when everybody, if everybody else is around me is going to eat cream cakes or, you know, people are coming around for tea, then at least if I got a cheesecake, then at least I'm not doing too badly. Yes. And I think that's, that's how we should look at it. And I think that's maybe the approach that people should have during Christmas. And actually, that is another one of my tips, if I could throw it in there. It's, kind <laughs> of <leaks in. laughs> it's about planning. Yeah. Planning is key to success when it comes to well everything but in in the, in the sense of changing your nutrition um and your lifestyle it, you can't just say right i'm going to be keto today because i can assure you by tomorrow when the food isn't available to you in the fridge you're just going to go ah i'm just going to have the biscuit because that's what's in the fridge and i'm starving because i don't know what to eat so it's about learning the process understanding what foods are going to help help your journey and actually having them available to you um so yeah planning so mom we're coming to that part of the interview where we're starting to wrap things up so before we do could you tell everybody how they can find you so obviously the good old social media so i'm on instagram my handle is bodyworks healthcare which i think you'll probably link to um i'm mostly active on that so i do post a lot about my food so if you're sick of looking at food photos don't don't follow me but you can contact me via uh, instagram and there's email and of course there's good old-fashioned pick up the phone and give me a call i'll be happily talk to you great and the last part of our um of our interview we we ask our our guests to have the to have their top three tips which you've sort of alluded to um two of those already so if we can just remind the listener what number one and number two is before signing us off with your third top tip. Okay. So actually I'm going to put them back in an order. So I'm going to give you my first top tip and much to your, possibly to your, your listeners disappointment, it's not going to be food related. Um, my first top tip is to do a symptom tracker. I believe it's important that we start reconnecting with our body and what it's telling us. And that can coincide with doing a food diary if people want, because obviously sometimes our foods can be part of the reason why we're getting certain symptoms. So I'm, and, and again, um, it doesn't have to be every day, but at least become mindful of what your body is telling you symptomatically. So that's my first top tip. Yeah, that's great. And do you recommend people just write it down or is it just an awareness? So I would write it down because it's easier because, you know, I could ask you what you ate last week or even last night and most of the time we can't remember. So, yes, write it down. We have so many tools on our phone now where you can just put a note very quickly, even if it's a voice note. And um, it's just it's both an awareness and a task that should be done so that it can help the process of elimination, really. Yeah. So, and the top tip that you gave us before was about planning, and that's a really great tip about the, um, yeah, learning the learning the process and planning that we're going to be changing, making choices that are available to us. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. 
plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, I mean, you and I might say it's really easy, but I think I've forgotten that at the beginning of a journey, it probably wasn't that easy. And I think if I hadn't have had the structure of the Real Mill Revolution, for example, um, I would have I would have thrown in the towel pretty quickly. Um, but because the planning was there, um, I think it made the process easier. Um, and I think because there are so many changes for people, um, it can get a little overwhelming. So I think it's about planning, mm. you know, week by week and not having such massive high expectations of yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last one is um, keep your journey to yourself, <laughs> which is something Jackie picked up on earlier. And I couldn't agree more. I actually stopped sharing. I had lots of people in my life telling people about my journey, wanting me to explain it. And I just thought, what I learned through that process is that if somebody isn't ready to hear what I have to say, because their journey is juicing, or their journey is slimming world, or their journey is Weight Watchers, Mm. Um, it doesn't matter what my what my story is and what my journey is because they're not ready to hear that so as I said it's about keeping that journey to yourself obviously with support from people that are you know if people are supportive of you that's wonderful but it cuts out the noise it cuts out the negativity of people saying that eating all that fat's going to give you a heart attack yeah um let them see the changes fantastic I'd say great I think it's that the doing, you know, your 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 message is is what you're doing. So that's um, something again that yeah. you should be immensely proud of the of the changes that you've made, that you've sustained, you know, since since the fourth of June, you know, two thousand fifteen, that you've obviously embraced um, with a passion now and a service to others and that commitment to service to others. I think that's that's something that you've been true to yourself intuitively all through um, through your journey in your life. So well done to you. Thank you. And we hope that um, hope this podcast uh, episodes, uh, which has been a great pleasure to have you on last week and this week, um, yeah, will be certainly another gift that you that you have done for the community. So thank you. Bless you. Thank you very much. So Jackie, what I really, really got a sense from from someone's journey as she's moved from her health journey and how that's really informed her, her health practice as a health and well-being coach and the thing that I took away from that was obviously the fact that she's had this lived experience of living with a chronic pain disorder of the fibromyalgia how she's used lifestyle her holistic approach functional medicine to inform her mind and body um, approach to to her health and well-being practice and that's a really unique um, skill set and knowledge set for for a health and well-being coach and I can just imagine how beneficial that must be for someone's clients that um, not only does she have an awareness of people's physical bodies but also the fact that she has this mindfulness connection and how food is medicine in remediating the connections between the mind and the body. That's a yes. powerful um, set of skills that someone has got. Really important. And 
And even if she's working with a client, maybe it's around nutrition, maybe it's around diabetes, but that you, we don't know that there's not a physical component to that person that needs dealing with. And whether she does it or she refers on, we don't know. But I think we always have to bear in mind that we need to take the whole body as in all its facets, not just nutrition. Mm. But equally so, as you said, there's a, a physical manifestation and that's, as you were saying about going to, to GPs, you know, we have a physical manifestation of this disconnection from, you know, the fact that we're maybe not eating the right nutrition, which is disrupting our minds and our mood. And we know the, the impacts of, um, for instance, withdrawing from dairy, <laughs> how bad that was and the effects that it has on our mind and body connection. Mm. So, yeah, the physical manifestations can, you know, necessarily be part of a, a mind disruption as well. Yeah. But making sure that we have a, as you said, a holistic approach, this functional lifestyle medicine approach that encompasses all facets of um, rather than just one component of a system. So, mm. yeah, it's an interesting way of approaching um, a health and wellbeing practice. Yeah. So, Jackie, where can we find the show notes for Simone's second episode? So the show notes are at www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 025. And if you want to go back and listen to the first episode, that's at ending 024. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>